should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome to Tuesday. It is Tuesday, <laughs> December 23rd. Um, are we there yet? Wait, is it the 23rd? 22nd. Oh, it's the 22nd. See, I'm, a, I'm ahead of myself. I, I want it to be the Christmas break already. Uh, Merry Christmas to those who are celebrating Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone else. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Fong, our producer, is in studio. Hello. How's it going, Fong? Uh, it's going great. It's just kind of hard to, you know, go to the board and then come to the mic. Okay, fine. I won't talk to you. <laughs> uh, we're doing a special program for the rest of the holidays. And so if you tuned in yesterday, you heard a couple interviews, special inter- interviews that we did with LGBT older adults uh, like BJ Styles. And it's important to know that we can be proud of the LGBT older adults who have given us the freedom and pride we feel today. And it's not too much to say that they're our extended or chosen family. And they're also our LGBT pioneers and we owe them so much. So this holiday period, I'd like to, I'd like to offer that to you, you know, stories from people who absolutely matter in our community and do not forget them. Mm -hmm. And this is part of a partnership with Open House, a uh, nonprofit organization right here in San Francisco that provides resources to our LGBTQ senior community, such as housing and uh, community programs. So if you're considering, um, you know, making a uh, donation to any charity, I really hope that you will make one to Open House and you can visit openhouse-sf.org. This special program that we're doing and telling stories with LGBT seniors is also made possible by the generous financial contribution of Mrs. Angela Daniels Lewis. So we thank them all. And then today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You know, it takes a whole lot of money to to do this, <laughs> to produce this all, and then also to care for our community. And that's uh, unfortunately what makes the world go round is money. But money and love, I'd like to say. It's not, it's not only money, but if we have those two things, I think that we can make it a better place. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm not talking to you, Fong. I'm talking to the listeners, so you don't have to go back and forth from the board to the mic. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and start the program. And uh, our guest today, I was just reading the uh, description, and I'm so excited for, for this person who has served uh, for our country and also has been a part of a uh, an organization, a spiritual organization that you know we know very well, the MCC Church. So I'd like to introduce you to Lynn Jordan. Lynn, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Michelle. I appreciate the invitation. Um, like I said, I'm really excited. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so anxious to hear your story. So let's start like I've started with everyone else. Let's start about your childhood. Where did you grow up? 
I grew up in uh, in Ohio, where my family's been for 200 years. We were some of the first families in Ohio, and uh, small communities in northern Ohio, and then what I call home, Creston, Ohio, is a very small town of 900 people in mid-central Ohio, where I was raised in part by my grandparents. What was that like growing up in such a small town, um, uh, you know, as a uh, a gay kid? I'm, I'm sure, and I, I've asked everyone else this, and, and I don't know if you knew at such a young age you were gay. Um, firstly, with the one experience, what I would say is that this was a multi-generational household, so I really began to appreciate at a very young age the history of our families. But at the same time, in learning the histories, I realized that that history was not going to be my history at a very young age, that I was not going to follow you know, the, the generations in terms of uh, marrying, getting a job, a career. Um, I, was, I was very aware of being the difference, mm-hmm. being very aware that uh, somehow I did not fit in with the expectations of what, quote, a boy should be, and I was reminded of that, that I was that constantly by my parents and other members of the family, that you're sure different, well, we're not sure what's going on, and that just sort of what it did was basically turn me into a total intro- introvert. Mm-hmm. I just self- basically self-isolated most of um, growing up mm-hmm. and kept to myself. Now, you, like I mentioned earlier, you served uh, in the military. Correct. Um, well, how, what, I guess, uh, how old were you when you were drafted? 19. I was 19 years old when I was drafted. Put it in perspective, this, I, I was drafted during the Cuban Missile Crisis when President Kennedy enacted the draft, and I began my military, four-year military career, just two weeks after President Kennedy was assassinated. Wow. Wow. President Kennedy, uh, you know, means a lot to uh, many people. And um, and in and, and some of the movies that I've been able to watch and some books that I've read, you know, President Kennedy also meant a lot to closeted gays at the time. I wasn't sure. I'm not sure if you were still in the closet at the time, but uh, what are your thoughts about President Kennedy? Well, first of all, I was fortunate that he had enacted a uh, program called the Manpower Retraining Program, and having been saddled with the label of gifted in high school, I had completed nearly two years of college in high school. So I went into President Kennedy's manpower training program, and during that 18th month, I was, getting, I was completing a, a degree in chemical engineering. Wow. And when I got drafted, and I saw that draft as mixed emotion because I had never really been around other that many other men of my age and but at the same time I saw as a shape a chance to escape Ohio mm-hmm. which I just felt increasingly was more and more like a, a total closet for me I you know I, I came in I was 19 years old and so um, while you were in the military and uh, and doing your tour you explained that that was also your total coming out experience what do you mean by that it meant that for the first time I was exposed to um, a broad community of of men, many of them, most of whom were probably homosexual, but there were certainly a core of us 
who that um, that met, and we began to have relationships. And that really opened up when I went to Europe for three years in Germany, where I started going out and little by little finding the gay bars. And for the first time, really had, you know, some long-term relationships, not one-night stands, one, no overnights, but actually having a series of, of lovers throughout Europe. And it's it's very interesting to hear this, and I feel I feel sheepish almost because I live in this period of time in which you know don't ask, don't tell was repealed, and I remember the arguments prior to don't ask, don't tell being repealed, and uh, gay and lesbians now being able to serve openly in the military. I, I mean, does that make you? Uh, I, I wonder what your perspective is now, and uh, in comparison to when you served. Um, the government's relationship, the military's relationship with, it, with its gay and lesbian service members? Well, I, I can say for this that basically it was... I, I ironically was started out my career in military intelligence, and that was probably... which is a branch of the CIA, and so you could not have been in a worse, worse place for coming out gay. And in fact, I was... Uh, questioned. I was challenged about being a practicing homosexual. I refused to give them any answers. And so I assumed that I was going to be dishonorably discharged. Instead, for reasons I still don't know, I was simply transferred and lost my clearance. And after that, I just made it a point that I would continue to work the last nerve of the military by being open and just challenge them. Go for it. If you want to uh, if you want to remove me from the military, you can do so. But I'm going to claim my power to be who I am. I'm going out, and I'm going to enjoy myself and continue to do what I've been doing, which is being my full queer self. And I made it through four years. Wow. wow. I just decided to claim my power then, that they could that they could not ruin my life as they said they would, could do, I did. I told them they couldn't. They did not have that power, and that I would, you know. And I just after I was transferred to another base, I I simply, yeah, even more so, ramped up, traveling all over Europe, meeting people, going to gay bars, and having relationships throughout Europe. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Lynn Jordan, who's sharing his story in partnership with Open House. Open House is a nonprofit organization right here in San Francisco that provides resources to LGBTQ seniors. What we're trying to do here is celebrate our LGBTQ seniors as they are our uh, pioneers, pioneers of liberation and equal rights. So make a tax-deductible donation to Open House at openhouse-sf.org. Lynn, I, I, I wanted to ask you this, and, and uh, I'm so fascinated by you know military life, especially LGBT military life prior to being able to come out. Um, I wonder if, you know, you said that you had a total coming out experience if you fell in love in the military and ever felt like, you know, something was in danger, whether that was your relationship or your own personal self. I I fell in love. I fell in love with a gentleman in Holland, and it was a real wrenching experience when I knew that I was going to have to believe him because part of me really wanted to stay in Holland with him. But I realized I did not have the language or the skills to stay in Holland. And also I realized I really needed to go back to the United States. I really needed to to go back and really uh, 
come into a, a greater understanding of who I was. And, and so I made the decision to go to San Francisco. Hmm. Uh, that because I met, I met Americans over there. And, and of course, San Francisco, certainly in the 1967, was very much in the news with the Haight-Ashbury. Right. And we're going to get to you being yeah. in San Francisco after the break. But I have one more question about, um, you know, serving for our country and uh, and being in a different country uh, at the same time, such as Germany. I I uh, I wonder if at any time during your service that you had felt that 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 maybe you should not be gay, if that makes any sense. No, I actually Actually, no. Actually, I realized that this was going to be who I was, that I had met a lot of other positive role models in people that I, in, that I dated, that I met in the bars. I got to see that, you know, that, that basically that this, what they had been saying about us was a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, all the names, all the labels... All you know, all the negative connotations that I, I began to set them aside, and I began to experience my own self-affirmation mm-hmm. and seeing seeing the positive positives in the people that I met who were L, you know LGBT. You served, I mean, twenty years after World War II um, had concluded in Europe, and 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 you served. You did a tour of duty in in Germany, and I know, you and I. I just wonder. I mean, we know that during World War II, uh, LGBT people were treated horrifically. Did you ever get a sense that um, that that sentiment had had already passed, or that it didn't pass? It was very much present. It was. They would go in waves in the military, first looking for drugs and then looking for homos. And they had already done one wave of clearing out supposedly homos, so now they were focusing on drugs. And also, there was a unique situation agreement with the German police that if you were the, that if there were gay military personnel in, in some of the gay bars, the German police would escort you out and then they'd turn you over to the military police. Wow. So I had to learn where the private clubs were, and part of that was um, some of the best private clubs were run by the madams in Germany. So fascinating. And they ran so you could go to one of the houses uh, of prostitution, go in a door, and you can go in there, and then there was you'd meet the madam, and they were astute businesswomen. And they also ran many gay bars, and they would show you, you get to meet them, and then she would escort you to the entrance, to the secret entrance to the gay bar. Wow. We're, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, we will discuss your time um, leaving the military and, and yeah. moving to San Francisco. So stay with us, okay? Sure. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here today, this this uh, this Tuesday, um, December 22nd. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, following our producer, is in studio. And we're continuing our special program in partnership with Open House. And Open House is a nonprofit organization that provides resources to LGBTQ seniors. And we're telling stories from LGBTQ seniors who are our pioneers and our chosen family, uh, as well as our extended family. And we shouldn't forget them during this holiday season and should forget the fact that not everyone is uh, participating in, in holiday parties or going home to their family. And that's that's uh, what we're trying to get at. So make a tax deductible donation today uh, by visiting Open House at openhouse-sf.org. Our guest today is Lynn Jordan. And uh, we uh, before the break, we were just discussing his time in Germany as, as a service member. Um, and now we'll switch to San Francisco. But before we get there, what was interesting uh, that I read, Lynn, was that you met um, Sergeant Troy Perry. We know Troy Perry, who's Reverend Elder Troy Perry, uh, the founder of the Metropolitan Community Church, but in a gay bar in Germany. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And who knew that, you know, here it is 50 years later and we continue that friendship. That. That, you know, and that that also that chance meeting, call it destiny, call it what you want. Yeah. But it it certainly uh, was a foreshadowing of what was going coming ahead for for me, and has been for the last five decades. Um, what was it like, you know, in uh, meeting? Because for a lot of us, we know uh, Troy Perry as the founder of the Metropolitan Community Church as MCC and a huge activist for LGBTQ rights. But, but as a young Troy Perry, uh, when you met him in that bar, what was what was he like? Well, he was, first of all, he was he was only in his mid twenties. He had been married, but you know, basically had had was coming out, and so and went in the military in the army. He was in the Army, I was in the Air Force, and there was a town nearby with had a gay bar. And so this was for him also, his coming out experience in many ways, was 
you know, in the military. Mm -hmm. And did you have any inkling or did you know that he was going to become one of our, you know, uh, historical and iconic figures of LGBTQ history? Not at that point, other than the fact that he was conducting prayer prayer meetings toward, you know, toward the end of his tour of duty. But no, I had no idea that, mm -hmm. you know, that for either of us, what was going to lie ahead. Right. Uh, and so I picked up an advocate, and there he was, larger in life, in 1968, starting a church in Los Angeles. So your time, though, let's focus on you in San Francisco at right around the same time. Um, what was going on in San Francisco during 67, 68? Well, I came, actually this month is my 48th year in San Francisco. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I sort of sort of describe myself as sort of a last last gasp flower child who came to San Francisco to drop in and drop out, wear flowers in my hair and just and try to become my uh, authentic self and find um, continue my exploration of the who I was. And of course, I don't ask me about 1968 and 69 because it was kind of a blur <laughs> of drugs and alcohol. But I was working, and I was also going to school. Mm -hmm. So it, but I, you know, I definitely got into some rather self-destructive behavior during those those two years. I think a lot of people did. I don't think you were alone in that. <laughs> so you know, I, I recognize it with our queer youth today. You know that you know when they you know their struggles that I, I like to say to them. Yeah, I I had my own own self-destructive demons that I was dealing with at times, because no matter what you can say, those labels that they give you still percolate under your skin, and they have a nasty habit of coming to the surface and, and talking to you every so often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting enough, though, I mean, that blur of drugs, alcohol, and, and uh, working a lot between 68 and 69 uh, only lasted about that, because in, in uh, 1970... Uh, you became involved with the Universal Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Church uh, in San Francisco? Yes. Tell yeah, us about that. Okay, Metropolitan Community Church of San Francisco was, was the second church in which would become the Universal Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Churches. Our church was chartered on April 27, 1970, and Troy was going to be doing a spiritual renewal service for the church in September uh, of 1970, and it was all in the Advocate and it's in the gay press. And I just, I saw Troy Perry's name, and I said, I've got to go. I had no intent of necessarily doing church, but I wanted to meet my friend Troy. And I don't know who blew, uh, he, we blew each other's mind out when we met, because I had, he'd had no idea I was in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But, his words to me are sort of the ones that became my mantra. He told me after the worship service, they said, this church needs you, and you need this church. Right. And that began the journey. Began I, Within weeks, I be, you know, that month I became a member, and I have a background in journalism, so I began, took over becoming the editor of the church publications for the next three years. 
What was it, uh, you know, as, as, as a founding member, I mean, um, and when you opened the doors, uh, uh, what was the response like? And where was the state of LGBTQ or queer uh, spirituality? It was, the LGBT community was changing. When I got here, they were still raiding the gay bars. There was still police entrapment. But by 1970, with the community relations, especially with Elliot Blackstone, and the fact that there are a lot of LGBT organizations, such as Tavern Guild, Society for Individual Rights, um, and others working in coalition together to, to push back, a lot of it through um, the courts. They, they only, we couldn't even, we couldn't even uh, advertise our church in the Yellow Pages, because under, under homophile, called homophile organizations, mm-hmm. it took a lawsuit to overturn that so that we get advertised. And so it was a matter of, uh, of the emphasis of the Church was on social justice and, and civil rights. Um, there, in 1971, Assemblyman Willie Brown was introducing AB 437 to decriminalize the sodomy laws, which were still on the books in California. And so one of our early acts of the social justice was the congregants of MCC churches throughout California and those that stood with us and other organizations. A group walked from Lake Merritt to Sacramento in support of AB 437. And the rest of us all gathered on buses. And we met them that Friday, and we walked the last mile at Sacramento and stood in front of the Capitol um, supporting the decriminalization of the sodomy laws. It was pretty much my first acts of, of social uh, social engagement for civil rights. I I, uh, I have a question for you in in, in just trying to compare the, your experiences in the military and having served for our country and uh, like you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, uh, military intelligence, which is extremely difficult but in comparison of of your experiences there versus being an lgbtq activist in the early 70s what would you say um is harder i would say that you know the the military experience was harder in many ways because of the um the tight restrictions that i had really on on my life you know i was a military personnel and i was Mm -hmm. bound up in the military um my my only concern in San Francisco was there was no affirmative action protection for my job. And so I had run the risk as I became increasingly more and more invisible, 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 visible in the community and having a name that I could have lose, I lost my job with the state of California. There were no job protections. And there's, there, that were, that's still the case for many queer people in this country. Right. And oh. so that's how Lynn came about. It's, it's an, I changed my first name. And, and we did not use last names in our church publications. And many of our first names were, uh, were created just to protect ourselves because mm-hmm. I was the youngest, one of the youngest ones in the church. Most of the church, and they were mostly men, were of another, an older generation. At least They were at least 10 to 20 years older than I am, and so they brought with them their own experiences of growing of what it was like to have been in San Francisco in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And, and for some of them, because of the fact that we were so out and in your face, they, they, some of them felt that we were unraveling everything that they had done, but we were, 
we had just felt that this whole model of assimilation that they had tried was not working, and so that we were we were going to, about to become our change. Uh, we have a couple minutes left, and uh, sure. I'm really sad because I could sit here and listen to you all day long. I could sit here and listen to all of you, but um, but you know, MCC Church, uh, the it has changed over time. I know that uh, the church has sold its location. Um, it, it, with all these changes, the real estate changes, San Francisco changing. Uh, you know, what do you have to say to those who are occupying the city now who don't necessarily know or are tied to the history, especially the queer history, in this city? I think it's so different now because what I'm seeing and experiencing is a different form of assimilation as we become more and more integrated into our communities. And so, and, you know, again, the question is, do we really need a queer neighborhood? And I, even that is changing. And now queer people have more and more options to, to not come to San Francisco but remain in their own communities. And, and so this is a, you know, it's a whole different experience in terms of how they how they network, how they they meet, how they create community. And for some of us, it's it's a, it's a challenge for us mm-hmm. because uh, we we grew up with a different model in this city of how how we were creating community, and it's it's for some of us in our generation, it's somewhat of an estrangement. So I. I'm not sure how what they are experiencing, other than the fact that I know that for the queer youth, especially lyric, you know, they're still having the challenges of abuse and bullying, the labels, the names, the hate, the intolerance, and so I'm concerned that when they come to San Francisco, um, that are they finding the kind of level of support and integration that that we created. You know, how are they uh, becoming community in San Francisco? And I'm not that clear yet, you know, on how cause it is so much different. This is not uh, the Oz that I remember. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult place to live. It is. It's an expensive place to live, and I think it's, for many uh, queer people, they've been priced out of this, this community. Right. Lynn, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us this morning and telling and sharing your story. It's so important to us in the queer community, and well, it's important you, to our future. Michelle. Thank you. Happy holidays. Same to you. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our partnership uh, with uh, interviews of LGBTQ seniors. You can make a tax-deductible donation now at openhouse-sf.org. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Lena. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, 
the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Our next guests, I should say, our next guests. There, there's two of them. This is this is new. This is so awesome. There, uh, we have a recording artist, Danielle Lopresti, and her, I, I think, wife. I think wife, or maybe maybe a partner, but definitely both extremely good-looking and very talented, Alicia Champion. And um, they're also the uh, founders of the San Diego Indie Fest, and they have a new video out for Danielle's uh, album, a Christmas album. And get this, they did this uh, video with a lesbian twist for for the 1952 Tommy Connors Christmas classic, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, and there's more to it. It features their foster adoptive son, Xander. That is so neat and so cool. Danielle, Alicia, welcome to the, the program. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you so much. We are so, uh, so, so happy to be on your awesome show. Thank you for having us. You both, you both sound the same. I, I, I can't yeah, tell so you let apart. Me, let me clarify. <laughs> um, um, the American accent is Danielle, and uh, I play Santa. And the um, Singaporean accent is Alicia, and she is my wife, and she plays the foxy one in the video. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I feel like you both were foxy. That, that was pretty, pretty darn hot. So how many times did you have to shoot that video? <laughs> um, well, the, the shooting um, took, you know, we tried to wrap it up in one day, um, but um, it was a brand new experience. For us working with a little one, uh, let, let alone our little one, um, and uh, while it was it was lovely and he was he was amazing, uh, we understood firsthand um, why in so many uh, TV and film projects that have a child actor that they almost all always cast a uh, twin or triplet set because um, it can be quite trying sometimes <laughs> to get a little one to follow, you know, the direction of a crew of, you know, 10 or 12, you know, uh, men or women staring down at him, you know, with, with lights and cameras and all that. Um, so uh, it was definitely a learning experience for us, but, but an absolutely joyful one to just 
do this project all together as a family. So whose idea was it? Um, you know, who came up with it? Was it Xander's? <laughs> um, we actually call him Lucian. His first name is Xander, um, Xander Lucian, uh, low Presti champion. Um, but we call him Lucian. Um, and it, he, he's ac- he actually, um, we adopted him, so we just call him our son. We just say our son. Um, he uh, is involved with the reason um, that, that this video came to be, um, but it really was inspired by him and Alicia. Um, we were trying to find a holiday video um, last year that reflected you know, our family, what our family looks like. Because, you know, you always have the uh, white dad and the white mom and the, you know, the classic Christmas-type um, visual expression of the holidays. Um, and it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, and trying to find a family that looks like ours was impossible. We just couldn't find it anywhere. And so Alicia came up with this idea of making our own. Uh, well, and, it's, uh, it's already it it, it's already received over fifty thousand views on YouTube, and so you know my guess is that the response has been awesome so far. Yeah, I mean, we really uh, we, we we've been so moved, and um, especially by some of the comments um, in you know on the YouTube page, uh, we've been really moved by um, how people have been affected uh, by this this video and. That I mean, that that's what we're hoping to do. Whenever you you put you know all you have into a project, you know, um, you can pray that it reaches people the way you know you want it to, but you never know. And so to see that reflected in the feedback, you know, from other families, you know, uh, has been really special. Now I wanted to, you know, is this the first time both of you had have collaborated? I know that you know Danielle, you actually have a band, right? Yes, and no, 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 we collaborate together all the time. All Alicia the time. is the music director of, of our band, Daniello Presti and the Masses. Um, we collaborated together uh, over a decade ago to create San Diego Indie Fest, as you mentioned. Um, we, we write together. Uh, Alicia is the producer, and um, we co-write, and then she makes magic out of, out of what we come up, <laughs> come up with together, really. Um, but this is the first time that we've collaborated, we, and we've done many, many music videos, I should say, which you can see on our YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, but, but this is the first time that we've collaborated this way with our child. This was a big first for us. And also, we, we do a lot of activism um, for human rights, social justice, environmental rights. It's really, really you know, central to everything we do as artists. Um, but this is the first time that we have done something with such um, a comedic, really lighthearted touch. Um, we typically are that, like, fist in the air, go go for it, a thousand percent type presentation. This is a really new way of um, introducing the idea of, you know, social justice, what it is to, you know, acknowledge and accept and love the differences between us, you know, and, and, and we're really trying to get people to see, because there's nothing like seeing it, right, Right. that the LGBTQ families are just 
like theirs. We have the same struggles. You know, you're a new parent. You've got a little one. You just want two seconds of alone time, <laughs> but no, you may not have it, you know, and you love them, and they're made so cute so you don't get furious. How can you get mad? But, you know, these are the same struggles we all have. And most people just don't get to see LGBTQ families. I mean, think about it. When we see a commercial with an interracial family, we go, oh, my God. It's like an amazing thing. Imagine watching the Super Bowl and seeing two daddies or two mommies right. on, a, in, on a commercial. You know, I mean, it's so past time for this, you know. Oh, I, I, I love the video. Yeah, it's a, I think that, like I said earlier, I think it's historic and groundbreaking. We need more videos like this. So I want to take it all the way back. I mean, you know, you, you, you are in partnership with each other for life. You work together and you have a kid together. Let's take it all the way back to the first time maybe, you know, you, you laid eyes on, eyes on each other. I, I, you know, tell us how you met and, and how it all started and, uh, I'm interested to know kind of how the the chemistry was sparked. So if Alicia wants to jump in, that's totally cool, too. Uh, you know, it's it, it a very different experience for, for both of us. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I never believed in love at first sight. I, I thought it was, you know, a myth, a farce, whatever. Um, but the moment I laid eyes on, on Danielle, um, that was it. Um, I was sound checking. We met at a, at a gig. We were both uh, scheduled to play San Diego Dyke March, uh, 2003. And I was sound checking. I was, this is when I was still pursuing a, a performance career. And Danielle's band was loading in behind. And um, when she, uh, you know, she, when I turned around after I, I finished uh, to say hello, I caught a glimpse of her. And I just, I lost my breath. I, I couldn't. I couldn't speak. In fact, um, the only thing that was going through my head was just over and over again was, oh, my God, I love you. Oh, my God, I love you. Um, like a crazy person, because I've never met this woman before. Um, and then when I finally could muster something, that was what came out of my mouth was, oh, my God, I love you. Um, <laughs> and I have no idea what, what she must have thought of that insane moment. But um, clearly, you know, she wasn't too terrified. Um, we, I mean, we, we chatted a little bit that day, you know, swapped email addresses, you know, um, to collaborate, do shows together or something. Um, and I, I was just, just flabbergasted by, after watching her band's performance, you know, she's just so extraordinary, you know, such a powerful stage presence and really wonderful music. I became an instant fan. Um... And we uh, connected a couple months later about doing some shows together, um, became fast friends, you know, uh, realized quickly that we shared a lot of the same um, values and ideas um, and goals about music and what, how we should be treating music and art and what it's really there for us to, you know, the purpose of art. Um, and, and collaborated very quickly. We met in September, and we produced our first event the following March, um, which was a Women's History Month um, event. And, um, and less than a year of, of meeting, we started collaborating together on the first um, San Diego Indie Fest. And just in that process of, you know, just spending so much time together, I was, I was courting her for sure. She was, you know pushing me away, pushing me away. But finally, she, you know, she couldn't help herself. She had to give in. 
Um, and I'm so, so grateful for it. She gave in. So, Danielle, you, you were in love with her this entire time. Um, I was in love with her? <laughs> yes, I loved her um, immediately because she was so impossible not to love. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was thinking of more, you know, a friendship thing, but, but she was the most relentless, <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you how relentless, and you just can't resist the Alicia Champion for too long before she just wins. She just, that's her name, Champion, she wins. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, yeah, we've been through a lot together, I mean... It took us seven years to become parents, and then I got cancer, and she, you know, was the most amazing, incredible, superhuman partner that a person could hope for. And, uh, and all, you know, through it all, we have continued to write music, produce festivals, produce music videos, and um, we're really lucky, really lucky for sure. Well, I I love your story, and we're very lucky to be here to tell it. Uh, We're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that Christmas album and the San Diego Indie Fest and everything else that's going on in your life. So stick around with us. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this fun hump day. We're kicking off December with awesome, awesome guests who are in the festive mood. <laughs> Our guests on the phone are uh, are married and they're musicians, Danielle Opresti and Alicia Champion. And we're talking about their cool video that they did, uh, which is a, a holiday video featuring their son, Lucius. Lucian, I'm so sorry. I said, no, it's Lucian, right? Yeah, Lucian. Yeah, Lucian. No and um, and so the video's already got fifty thousand hits. You can check it out uh, on YouTube. But it's uh, it's I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, but with lesbians and their kid. I can't think of anything <laughs> that would be better than that. I think it's the best version yet. Um, let's talk about your Christmas album and, and, and the holiday album, I should say, and uh, why you decided to to do one. I mean, you know, every time the holiday rolls around, it's almost like Queen Mariah Carey takes over Christmas, and that's all the albums that, <laughs> <laughs> that no, people you, buy. You, you can't. You- you can't blame the Queen. It's still it's it's a great record, and, and I still play it. You know. Yeah, 
but now we have lesbian rep- representation. So tell us what, what kind of uh, songs you have on your holiday album. Uh, well, you know, um, the the holiday album is is really um, it, it, it's that um, we are you know in typical um, DLPM fashion we try to make it as inclusive as possible for everyone. Um, so while there are going to be you know. Uh, Christmas standards on there, like I Saw Mommy and um, and Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. We are also keeping it quite diverse um, and having, you know, some songs that, that also reflect, uh, you know, the Jewish holiday Hanukkah um, and some, you know, more secular uh, uh, songs as well that, that feel holiday-esque to us. Like we've uh, love. Uh, Feed the Birds from Mary Poppins, which is really a song about charity and giving. And it's not necessarily a holiday song at all, but it feels holiday to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it reflects what, what we think this time of year is, is about. Um, and it's going to be a short record. It's going to be an EP, you know, uh, about five songs. But, um, and it's going to also have a, an original or two as well. Um, but, uh, Danielle, do you want to say anything else about it? Um, no, I think you've pretty much covered it. Uh, we've, we're in the process of finishing it right now. Um, it's going to be simple, but uh, but hopefully really, really pretty. Yeah. Uh, so do you play it all the time, and does uh, d- does your son ask to play it or play the songs that you're, you plan on having on the album all the time? There are a few of our songs that he, that he likes um, that are his favorites. But generally speaking, our music means that we're not spending time with him. And so he's made the association that that mom that mommy and mama's music means that that he is competing for our attention <laughs> with something else, you know. And so he he's not the biggest fan yet um, of what we do. Hopefully that will that will come to pass. But the moment he hears the word gig, he's just like, nope, I'm coming with you. And and then and, and no matter how many times we say. Okay, but you've got to sit in the front row on Tia's lap. You know, you've got to, that's what you, you have to agree to that. Okay, no problem. We get there, and he is demanding to get on stage in one of our, in, in my arms, because Alicia's playing guitar. Um, yeah, it's a whole, a whole deal. So we're, we're looking forward to the, the day when we can grow a little bit farther away from, from that much attachment so that he can be at the gig with us, for sure. So what not do you think? Compla- yeah, yeah not, not that we're complaining about having a child that <laughs> Want to be in our arms, yes. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, what do you think, you know, future bandmate? That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and it would be an entire... so sure. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, 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 def- he's definitely very talented. He's, got, he's definitely gifted. But, you know, it's funny, we, we think, you know... Um, you know, when we became parents, that we would be these cool musician parents, you know, hey, our kid's going to think that we're hip, but <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's work, if it's anything that takes us away from him, he hates it, so. Yeah, so, yeah. So long but, to that theory. <laughs> he'll get to that age where, you know, maybe a, 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 what the, the, he asked for for Christmas will be a guitar or something, and that, that'll be the best band ever, you know. You'll, you'll probably be the first uh, yeah, queer family band <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to talk about the the San Diego Indie Fest and kind of how that all you know all that how that all worked out how it came to be and uh, and I wonder had it always been easy you know to do music in the San Diego area? No, definitely not. Um, 
I I was doing. I, I'm from San Diego, but I was in L.A. and uh, I was um, uh, talking with uh, a, three different major labels about about a, a deal, and um, it wasn't going well because they wanted me to water down my music, and you know my music is about, like I said, social justice, and. Um, they wanted me to, you know, just talk about sex and mm. love and, you know, it literally straight up time and time again from multiple sources I was told that um, because I am a woman, it is not commercial to for me to write songs about anything other than sex, love, relationships. Um, that if I was a guy, it would be a different story. But, you know, Danielle, I'm just going to break it down for you. It is not commercial. And as long as you, uh, you know, continue to do so, you're, you know, we're not going to be able to promote you the way we want to. So I started, you know, uh, you know my own label and um, called my first record Dear Mr. Penishead uh, as a thank you note to all the people who told me that over and over again. And... Um, and, and then I started, you know, branching out, doing L.A. as well as San Diego. It wasn't easy. Um, and I found, a, I, I found a lot of pushback for, for, for writing music that mattered to me. Um, you know, I found a lot of people, you know, saying that, that, you know, I was angry, even though there was plenty of songs that were joyous. And, and quite frankly, who cares? You know, rock and roll is it's it's an explosion of emotion whether it's whether i was doing you know rock and soul um pop you know the fusion of all of those it, it's an explosion of feelings and and i've never heard a man be accused of being too angry in his music before it was so absurd to me um but the lgbtq community totally embraced my band and what we do and how we did it, um, and and that was like a breath of fresh air. And then when Alicia came along, we started collaborating, and we we pretty much um, sat down one day and said, okay, here's a need. We, uh, you know, we'll play, we'll do a show, and people will come up to us and say, that was amazing. How come you guys aren't famous yet? And it would be a very... Um, you know, it would be a complimentary thing. It would be a really nice thing to hear, but it would also be really maddening because the truth is there's there's so many truly, truly phenomenal independent bands, mm-hmm. uh, you know, indie bands, indie artists who are not on big labels, who do not have, you know, thousands of dollars being pumped into independent promotion, making sure that radio stations play their songs um, that people don't know about. The talent is not the measure of whether or not you know someone exists. So we sat down and we said, how about if we create a festival, an event that happens once a year, where people just come to discover amazing new music. You know, artists that that don't fit into the typical mainstream, um, Mariah Carey, Adele, uh, you know, fill in the blank, um, you know, uh, genre, but who are a little outside, you know, to the left, to the right, above, below, and, and you know, they get, they get passed over. But they're remarkable. They're outstanding. They're diverse. They push buttons. They push boundaries. And, and we got really excited about this idea. Of course, we got pushed back for that, too, but it grew and grew and grew, and now we're coming up on year 10. Um, it hasn't been easy. It's always been rewarding. Um, and, and I think that we're just, you know, we're proud of, of our work because we really feel so impassioned 
<laughs> about this idea. And it, it goes back to inclusivity. It goes back to, you know, educating people that there's so much beyond the Walmarts and the Targets and the major labels, you know, the, the, the little guys like you and, and me who are creating their own radio show, their own uh, coffee shop, their own, you know, let's support the indies because they actually, you know, have a stake in our communities. They care. They're people just like you and me. Oh, I love you guys so much. Uh, best, best, best holiday present so far um, is having you here on the show. I, I wanted to ask, um, you know, I know, Danielle, you beat cancer. Um, yeah. You know, you both have struggled in the music industry and have now are now, you know, founders and creators of one of the largest indie fests um, or a festival's uh, event to date here. And and uh, you have a kid and you're doing all these great, amazing things. I wonder, you know, when you look at your life in 10 years, what do you see? Alicia? Well, you know, I think um, while... While I think we, we always were the type of people who were, you know, grateful for every day, every moment that we have, um, going through that cancer experience, you know, as a family, um, you know, I, I think we have a lot of balance in our family. But for me, you know, Danielle is, is definitely that, that rock that kind of keeps us all together, you know. Um, and when that, that rock was so so beaten down for that stretch of time um i mean it it really it kind of shakes you in a in a new way you know it it, it kind of expands that 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 philosophy of you know living for the present and and just being grateful for every single day um tenfold you know in ways that i didn't even know that that i could have expanded that um so um Every day, you know, that, that, that we get to wake up and, and see the sun through our window and, and, and our son's son, you know, um, uh, in, in his bed um, is, is, is okay with me, you know. Um, whatever 10 years looks like from now, I just know that I'm going to be so grateful that, that we had those 10 years. Um, I know, you know, at some point we, we probably would enjoy... Um, a, uh, a slower pace, you know, a, a lot of our family um, is in the Bay Area, mm. Danielle's brother's family is there, my family is there, um, and, you know, a shift, you know, maybe to the Bay is, is could, could very well be in store. Um, so, yeah, you know, there, there are lots of things, but, but, but we love this community here, we, we love what we've done with San Diego Indie Fest, and we'd certainly like to keep that going, you know, maybe bringing Indie Fest, you know, up the coast, you know, to Northern California. I think <laughs> if, so. If, if that's in the cards, you know, that would be, that would be lovely, you know, maybe in Oakland or something. Um, I was going to say worldwide domination of indie music with <laughs> a, 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 an additional bandmate uh, named Lucian. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe an extra, you know, another, another baby uh, on the way or something like that. That would be so cool we would love to have a sibling for our little guy yeah yeah we're yeah we're working on that oh you two are so amazing i i want to thank you for everything that you do for our community but not just our community i mean really uh you know making the world a better place and uh you know lucian 
is is not only lucky, but he's going to grow up to be an incredible, you know, guy. He's probably already incredible. <laughs> what do you think so? <laughs> he gets to watch Mommy kiss Santa Claus, you know. And so, um, so thank you. Thank you so much for being here on our, our program today. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, we, we are so grateful now to know your show is out there, and we can't wait to tell people about it. It's really exciting to meet you, to speak with you. Thank you. Yay! I love it. Now we have new friends, Fong. Well, actually, maybe they'll they'll want to sign my bra one day. I'll have to ask them later. Um, we're gonna play the, their video. You just have to. I know it's it's just gonna be the song I I, uh, I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, but you should check out the video. 